Welcome to the Bluegrass Podcast. Today we're talking with Jody Dahmer and Dr. Maria Corso about Beargrass Thunder, their community garden resource, and seed bank. A quick show note before we begin. There was a little bit of a problem recording the first minute, so we jump right into it today. When we wanted to, you know, do the Louisville Seed Bank, we wanted to try to make sure that people that had never grown gardens before uh, had free seeds, and more specifically, seeds that could survive in downtown neighborhoods. So um, it's it's really been a, a lot of fun, and it seems like every year that we do it, more and more neighborhoods and more and more community partners want to get involved to help scale it. So it's a uh, you know, a, a lot less work on us as it goes forward because more and more people are supportive. Do you want to just talk about the Yardens real quick one more time? Because I love that. And I love you talking about changing the laws to actually be able to do this. Could you talk about that a little more too? Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, just to uh, backtrack, what uh, Beargrass Thunder is, we are a uh, Kentucky nursery, plant nursery that uh, we specialize in what is called yardens. Uh, so being able to grow food or flowers on previously mowed grassland. Mm-hmm. And um, before in Louisville, up until March of 2022, for about 90 years from, from the 1930s onward, it was actually illegal in the city of Louisville to grow a garden higher than 10 inches tall. And if you were reported, then you're, you would face a property lien and fines up until you cut your garden down. And so um, from the 1930s up until 2022, we've had generations of farmers that have been punished for trying to grow food on the land that they live on. And uh, it was uh, with the county merger in 2003 that meant that that farming restriction applied to any farmer in the merged Louisville Metro government. So any farmer on the periphery of Jefferson County, that was actually illegal what they were doing if someone called the the code enforcement on them. So when we started selling plants, we started getting clients that were being fined for the same plants we were selling, except, you know, in the in the wealthier areas of town. It was completely fine, but in a shotgun neighborhood, uh, people would get code enforcement called, sometimes up to, you know, weekly complaints where the fines would stack up and they would have to pay, you know, $500 to keep their house from being sold. So um, it it really got kind of ludicrous there. And so we decided to uh, start calling all of the Metro Council people and write some bluegrass songs. And uh, we sent that to almost every single local politician we could, and we even made it to the state level. Um, and so the, the bluegrass song, we called it Grass Holes. And uh, we called any politician that didn't want to change that law a grass hole politician. And luckily, uh, in March of 2022, uh, they actually changed the law citywide. So now there's over half a million families that can now legally, for the first time in 90 years, grow food gardens, as well as uh, native plant gardens for the pollinators. I love that. And what are some of the ways you're looking at this spring to now that you've sort of unlocked the potential of being able to do this in the community? What are some ways you're going to be getting plants and seeds out? 
Yeah. So uh, one of the ways that we uh, like to do things is uh, through this concept called placemaking. We do choose a pro bono project every year in a different neighborhood, although it's usually Shelby Park. And we pick a vacant lot that has been a dumping ground or a community blight. And we, with the help of the Neighborhood Association and the city government, we're able to uh, change that vacant lot into a uh, community garden or a uh, just proving the concept of being able to grow flowers on, say, three feet of alley right of way, just to show city officials that uh, you can grow food and you can grow these flowers in areas that, you know, uh, if you've never done that before, it's very hard to kind of see that you could have food in downtown neighborhoods. You could have flowers on the rooftop of a parking garage. And uh, just getting more and more city officials on board because the the more people that allow us to, I guess, um, beautify spaces that are city owned, um, that opens up hundreds of acres in a very short amount of time. What sort of what's the biggest problem that people bring up when you start talking to them that they might have against this? Or is it just they're not open to the concept to begin with? It's the perceived property values. And um, we kind of have this, we had this shift in the 1930s for cities to try to start emulating what the suburbanites were doing. And that was large grass lawns. And so now for a lot of people, the idea of a shortcut um, bluegrass or, you know, um, fescue glass lawn is like the height of what property value would bring. And then you also have people who are so unfamiliar with like possums and raccoons and um, just vermin in general and how they ecologically exist within our city that there's this perception that if your grass grows tall, then you're going to get varmin in your house, basically. Okay, so it's really just a perception of value and a perception of what it's going to be, not any practical problems people are bringing up about it. No, no. And the most practical problem was what if um, absentee landlords want to take advantage of this? Because there is the situation in which, you know, you do have just regular grass that's being let go and not taken care of because the property owner is perhaps two states away and not doing maintenance. Um, And we were able to get that written into the code to where it's explicitly stated that if you're letting your turf grass kind of go out of control, you can still catch a citation for that. But every other plant, if planted with intention, is allowed to get taller than that. Okay. And are you seeing any sort of preference that people have when you talk to them about, you know, planting more naturally and planting maybe something that might produce some food? Is there anything that people gravitate more towards? Well, uh, you can't go wrong with the sunflower. Yeah. Uh, That kind of fills both niche uh, groups because sunflowers, they're gorgeous. People know what they look like most of the time. And you can save the seeds if you'd like for next year's production or you can you know roast the sunflower heads or 
uh, use that as a uh, as a food source. So it, it's a really easy way to kind of get into the uh, agricultural scene without calling it agriculture. Yeah. So our beargrass clients, I would say, primarily they get flowers from us, and then we do some um, raised bed building, and then for the seed bank. Uh, I wonder if Jody can remember off the top of his head was the most popular seed was because we did collect data on what seeds were taken the most of. And then we'll have to round up the 2022 year data for you still. Yeah. Um, but in 2021, what was the uh, most popular num- seed? Number one was definitely the brassicas, kale, yeah. especially. Uh, they've uh, We try to grow uh, a lot of seeds within downtown of the brassicas. And those brassicas are able to survive the heat island effect um, a lot better than just a normal uh, variety that you would get from a packet. Uh, so yeah, I didn't I didn't know much about gardening at all, but <laughs> I get lettuce and and all the brassicas. They really like that low shade, so it's one of the hardest things to actually grow in a hot hot lot. Um, so mm-hmm. that's one of our favorites to try to. Um, collect seeds from like Jody's saying. And then after that, I would say like tomatoes are huge because they can be grown in pot containers. That's one of our big asks when it comes to the seed bank. Um, what can I grow if I, if I don't have land at all? And what do you find is normally the person who maybe comes up or gets in contact you all? Some level of gardening experience, no level of gardening experience, a lot. Uh, well, to be honest, uh, most of the people that come are first-time gardeners. Which yeah, I love. Uh, for Seed Bank, I would say absolutely green first-time gardeners. And then for our client base, it's been uh, in middle to high who want to completely redo their yards. Mm-hmm. And the, usually that skews, um, I would say, over 40. They're looking to reduce the amount of yard maintenance they need to do in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then under 40, it's to have more time with their children and save more time every week by not mowing the lawn. So it's the same, I guess, need. But for the people that are uh, leaning more elder in our community, uh, they don't want to have to deal with the physical exertion side of it. And uh, having pretty flowers to see or food to grow, um, it, it's a, it's easier on the eyes and it's easier on their uh, bodies. So it's it's been really interesting to see. Well, and it's encouraging to hear about a lot of new people, too, coming to the seed bank who maybe you're getting in for the first time and will help it spread. Yeah. Uh, yeah, our dream is to incorporate the library system yeah. uh, to be able to have potentially a uh, seed bank close by to almost every neighborhood in the city. That's why right now um, I'm like, we're really proud to be able to give all those seeds away for free, because if you are a first time gardener, I feel like cost is like a big thing when you're trying to get into it. You know, um, once you have all the pots and and the seeds and the spades and the this and the that, you know, you, you kind of have sunk your cost in. And at that point, you're going to be saving money making food. But I do think that's uh, an intimidating factor for first time gardeners. So we love that we're able to offer like what would be four or five dollar seed packets in a grocery store for for free. And that way, if the seeds don't grow, there isn't this monetary loss for for the new gardener, they can just come back and try again because there's 
when it comes to the urban environment, there's a lot of reasons that the plant might not grow that has nothing to do with the person's alleged or uh, uh, green thumb or not. And it takes a little bit of the choice out, I think, for some people, like you're talking about with the sunflowers, just giving them a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a, a, a lot of um, variables, like Mariah was saying, but uh, what's been really interesting is uh, now that more and more people are starting to grow their own food or grow their own flowers, we're starting to see other governmental policies that might need to change in the very short term to encourage the, the farming even more. So, like, for instance, in Smoketown, we are right next to Beargrass Creek, and for the past 30 years or so, the way that the city officials reduce the mosquito population is by pesticide fogging almost every block. And if you're trying to grow food and flowers... And uh, that's to, to just to, sorry to interject, that's yeah. to prevent West Nile. Yeah, and when you're killing all of the bugs and the pollinating insects within a, an entire neighborhood, uh, a lot of times people don't have the best crop yields because those flowers that they're growing aren't actually getting pollinated to turn into anything. So it's a reactionary, you know, um, solution to a problem, which is the high mosquitoes in the West Nile that could be solved with longer term solutions, um, you know, mitigating standing water in places, uh uh, cleaning Bear Grass Creek that'll restore the ecological like amount of like frogs that are kind of in the city, um, and and stuff like that, you know, to um reduce uh, mosquitoes instead of just uh blanket fogging every year. But um, you know, if there's no other option for the government to take, you know, they're going to fog. But it's important that as we move the zeitgeist, you know, we realize that farming in urban in urban cores can be important too and maybe fogging isn't the best and on a little bit of a positive note i think that you all have been remodeling your space yes yes we have the uh the uh seed uh, library uh seed bank inside sorry the seed bank is inside the louisville tool library uh, the louisville tool library is on logan street it's been there for approximately six months now and that is our uh, first brick and mortar location for the seed bank. Uh, so we got an entire new room. We are uh, currently trying to alphabetize and make things a little bit easier. Yeah, right now everything's kind of um, group by types-ish, but you could find a few surprises. So that is one of our big 2023 goals is to get everything alphabetized. Yeah, but we have about 2,000 packets of seeds there now, and uh, we have the attention of Kentucky State University, Jefferson County Ag Extension Office, and Bullock County's Ag Extension Office. So we have a plethora of seeds, and uh, we've helped over the past three years almost 275 families. And looking to 2023, what are some of the main projects you're looking at doing? More rehabilitating urban de- environments, I'm sure, but do you have any particular places you're looking at? Sure. Uh, So we like to focus on some of the major roads around the urban neighborhoods. And when I say urban neighborhoods, I'm I'm usually talking shotgun neighborhoods, the very closely together, small uh, kind of patchwork quilt areas uh, where there's a lot of people living in a small space. 
Uh, Shelby Park, right on Preston Highway, is getting a multi-million dollar investment from the federal government to add transit um, across most of the stretch all the way down to the Bullitt County line. So what we want to do is start changing the conversation since the money is already coming down there. We might as well get them to encourage parks and gardens along the entire stretch as well. So we're looking at space along uh, Preston Highway along uh, Shelby Street, Logan Street, some of these longer roads that connect a lot of different neighborhoods so that uh, theoretically, if it's on a, a busy street, you're able to get that many more people to the garden. And uh, we don't want to put a parking lot, of course, so uh, it'll encourage people to start walking, to start biking, um, just to be able to use that space. The, the dream would be to have every park have their own orchard or, or garden uh, because that would be city-owned land and uh, there would be a park close by to almost every resident. But uh, with the city, you have to kind of take things as they come and uh, start small. So we're uh, starting to look at just vacant lots for right now, but eventually we're going to start negotiating with the parks department. And say someone is in their local neighborhood in Louisville and wants to push for a garden or maybe wants to start their own, what would be a good place to start for them? Maybe some resources you all have or where to look for the seed bank again? Oh, absolutely. Um, so the best place to get information on how to start their own garden would be through the uh, group Food in Neighborhoods. That is a local group in Jefferson County of many different kinds of gardeners and farmers, uh, chicken farmers, goat farmers, uh, vegetable growers, uh, orchard growers. And they are all fighting to change the way that the land development code, the zoning is so that the city, instead of selling vacant land to an auction for development purposes, can also give the land to farming communities across the city. So they would have a knowledge of where the vacant lots are. They would have knowledge on the best places to go to set yourself up for um, a lot in that neighborhood that you're looking at and relatively cheaply. Um, you know, they, developers can usually buy a vacant lot from the city for under $500. And if we're able to change one sentence in the land development code, that the same could be done for farmers. And I hadn't really thought about this until you mentioned goats and chickens and different things. Is there any sort of difference in the reactions you get when you talk about farm animals on a property versus just producing vegetables on the property or fruit? Well, it's interesting because uh, there have been so few people until recently that have ever used uh, livestock in an urban neighborhood that there haven't been many laws about it. So that's been in our favor because it would to to restrict something now, uh, the Metro Council people will have to create a new law to punish the existing farmers. So um, it would be very, especially uh, for the people that are currently trying to you know get reelected, that's going to be an unpopular thing. So um, most of the pushback, I haven't seen much pushback. I don't know if cows would make a comeback. But uh, it's really interesting because my neighbor, uh, who's 96 years old, who lives in Smoketown, she remembers growing up in a shotgun neighborhood, how every block had their own chicken coop and had their own milk cow. 
and that was in Smoketown. And um, that was legal up until the city passed an ordinance in the 50s and they took the cows away. So uh, it just seems like the more I learn about it, the more I realize that, you know, just because you're in a city doesn't mean you have to give up everything about, you know, rural farming practices. You know, you, as long as you're able to learn the rules and potentially, you know, find the sentence that needs change, you can really, uh, you know, once you organize, you can really make a lot of waves. That's super encouraging to hear about the cow and the chicken on every block. It sort of does make you remember that if you space it out correctly, like you're talking about, it is doable. Sunflowers was one thing you mentioned that people get into a lot or is a popular thing. What are some other things you might suggest that people get into for the first time? Tomatoes, I heard you mention. Sure. Uh, well, you want to make sure that you have uh, flowers nearby just to make sure that if you're in, say, a really industrial neighborhood, that the pollinators have somewhere to go. Um, so, you know, I'm always down for sunflowers, marigolds, um, and then next to it, I would say that assuming you've tested the soil for lead, brassicas like, like kale and lettuce do great, um, but I really enjoy um, turnips and radishes. They're very fast growing, and you'll be able to see results within, say, a month. And uh, if that of the first time gardener that's really beneficial and because they're more of a uh, cool weather crop they're one of the first to grow during the spring season so it kind of gets uh gets people hooked a little bit and be able to wait out for something long term like say corn that uh you know it's slow growing until it isn't but um it, it's really exciting to have people that have never gardened before start talking about growing like glass gym corn and uh learning about wind pollination and all these different kinds of, uh, you know, terms that was said before they uh, never really had an interest in. And do you all do any preserves too, since you talk about doing all of these different plantings in urban areas? Do you all work with, do you find groups at all where people talk about canning or jarring? Yes, actually, we, we do can ourselves, uh, mainly water bath. But uh, there are a few people that can uh, in the city. I, I think that the biggest being um, Guard Girl Foods, Whitney um, Power Washington. She's actually the one who taught us how to can. And I think she still does uh, canning classes. And they were fantastic. What did you all can this last year? So we made some preserves using the berries. Um, we also uh, really enjoy pickles. Greens. So, yeah, uh, got a lot of collards, got a lot of uh, zucchini. And uh, I grew a Kushaw squash twice the size of my head. Uh, so I'm, and that was in a tiny little shotgun lot. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, if I can do it in Smoketown, you can do it anywhere. Would you all like to mention the website and the social media accounts where people can find? You all in particular, I know people go to the website, but also other relevant YouTube channel if you all have one. Sure, sure. So uh, we're Beargrass Thunder. You can find us online at beargrassthunder.com. Uh, we do consultations as well as uh, make custom native plant seed mixes, uh, specializing in Kentucky wildflowers. And our YouTube channel is Beargrass Thunder. 
Um, and you can check us out for uh, just walkthroughs of native plant orchards around the state, uh, different people that we talk to in the city making change in policies. And uh, one of our favorite things to do is talk about pawpaws. So there's a lot of information on um, persimmons and pawpaws, and we really hope to eventually start uh, getting into grafting some of these localized varieties. Before you go, you want to talk a little about the persimmons and the pawpaws? I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off, Mariah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to add on to that, that uh, uh, with our social, I'm pretty sure our handle is Beargrass Thunder also for Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. Jody runs all of them. The Instagram is particularly funny, I hear. <laughs> and... Um, uh, we do have an online store. It's kind of empty right now, but you should be able to find us on Squares, Squarespace. And do you all want to talk about the persimmons and the pawpaws for a second? Yes. Because that's interesting <laughs> since, you know, it's a couple of those things. I see persimmons more now, but you, you don't see them in the supermarket as much. No, no, they're hard to keep, you know, and... um we found a large persimmons tree that must have been used as a marker probably way back when Louisville was, you know, small and young. Um, and now it's on a public right of way, um, kind of in between. It's actually right in Phoenix Hill. And um, they're native American persimmons. And this tree has to be at least 100 plus years old. So we started collecting, canning some persimmons. And then also trying to grow them from seed. And we do the same thing with pawpaws every year. Um, we get pawpaws from, we take a trip out to KSU. They have the only pawpaw orchard, I think, in America. Oh, the, one of the best pawpaw research orchard in the There in we go. They, okay. they have over uh, 60 different cultivars. And they've been researching pawpaws longer than almost any uh, university in the U.S. So. It's been, it's almost like taking a, a, you know, trip to a candy store for me. I just love looking at the different varieties. Yeah. So we do our best and we grow all of our persimmons and pawpaws from seed. And we also do the same. We're out of stock right now, but we do the same with spice bush. And uh, there's one other native bush that we're really big into and I can't think of it, but yeah. Yeah, we've, uh, it's really exciting because getting into grafting, we can literally go to some of the best, healthiest trees around the city and take cuttings of them. Um, especially out in the rural areas of Jefferson County, it's important to find these trees before they're lost to development because that means that if they're old, say 50 to 100 years old, then they've survived all of the crazy heat fluctuations that happen in the summer and the winter. So they're that much more prepared for these 30 to 50 degree temperature changes in a week. And some of the ones that you get from, say, Georgia, Tennessee, they're not prepared for those um, very cold weather days that could potentially cause the tree to die. So uh, I'm always about local uh, types of seed and local types of fruit production. What was your all's favorite heirloom papa and your favorite local grab that you're looking to grab sure uh so there is a local pawpaw in, on the corner of barrett and breckenridge and there's also uh, a sister variety 
Uh, no, that's um, yeah. Uh, so Papa is on the corner of Barrett and Breckenridge, and there's a sister variety on the corner of uh, Barrett and Lambton, and they I have a really high sugar content. Uh, they taste almost like a I like to say a dream sickle. And I'm going to try to call those Barrett Best. Uh, they're in the middle of a planned development to build a like a 600 room apartment complex. But the developer has actually given me permission to go on site to uh, harvest the scion wood before the tree is cut down. So I'm really excited about that. In terms of a uh, heirloom papa, I like the KSU Cultivar Chappelle. Um, that's been a really good one. Uh, personally, I like pawpaws as much as I can get them, but the pawpaws usually are ripe in September. The Chappelle usually gets ripe around end of August. So it's one of the first ones I'm able to eat, um, to kick off pawpaw season. So I, I can't really, um, be too mad about anything about it because I, I love pawpaws so much. A quick harvest is always nice. <laughs> and before I let you all go, was there anything that you all wanted to talk about in particular? It's just really exciting to see more and more people get into agriculture, especially in urban areas like Louisville. Because, uh, you know, if we can start changing the way that the narrative is where, like, you know, the city and the country just are two separate areas, uh, there's a lot that we can learn in terms of practices and uh, also we could probably start getting a lot of this uh, state money for agriculture. And uh, if we can think of projects that can be done within Jefferson County, it will only benefit us because we're going to be able to feed more and more people and families. Um, so it's, um, it's really exciting. And you know what they say about gardening, right? What's that? <laughs> it grows on you after a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully a cow and a chicken on every block, right? Oh, exactly. That's the dream. Mariah, Jody, thank you all so much for stopping by today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Elijah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bluegrass Podcast. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can do so at bluegrasscannabis.com. If you'd like to stay up to date with news, merch, and more, Make sure to follow us on Instagram at bluegrass underscore cannabis, TikTok at bluegrass cannabis, Twitter at bluegrass canna. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe. The Bluegrass Podcast, old fashioned, all natural, Kentucky bluegrass.